Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. Let's start. Welcome to yet another episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is your host Aradha Chopra and today our guest is Dr. Martin Rabel from Precision Nanosystems. Martin joined Precision Nanosystems in 2019 as a field application scientist supporting clients in Central Europe, Middle East and Africa. He is specialized in the development of novel nanomedicines using PNIs, microfluidic nanoassembler platform and gene delivery agents. His expertise spans from formulation development, optimization to scale up including GMP manufacturing. Before joining Precision Nanosystems, Martin obtained his pharmaceutical license, postgraduate diploma and PhD from Friedrich Schiller University Jena in Germany. For his diploma work, he worked on bacterial nanocellulose nanoparticles for gene delivery applications. and his phd research focused on the development of animal free simulation models for the development of complex diagnostic nanoparticles welcome to the personalized medicine podcast martin so i would like to start with your story uh, can you please tell our listeners that what got you interested in pharmacology and life sciences in the first place and how has that interest led you to the place you are at today at precision nanosystems yeah um hi and thanks for having me it's 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 exciting so my story really so i cannot really recall what brought me to studying pharmacy exactly i think it started when i was like between 12 13 years old something like that where it fascinated me how 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 drugs in particular can can influence or make people healthy again right how they react with the body as a thing that you not really can see and and, and make people healthy again it also fascinated me going into pharmacies speaking to the people there and seeing how helpful they are right so so so, so that was it probably in the first place and also in school i was always interested in chemistry biology physics or really all natural sciences without really seeing or, or, or understanding which of the one is like my top priority so so when i graduated then from high school for me it was how can i like combine all these things and that was was led me to studying pharmacy while doing like while studying pharmacy i think it was quite soon quite in my first years latest in second year i realized that really the drug delivery field and the the, the way how to really make these drug products is what interested me most in the field so i really stick to it and when i graduated i also spent then time doing my postgrad diploma and also my phd on a drug delivery focused um topic on nanomedicine and i began to understand the power of of nanomedicines and how it can really impact human well-being and how it can be used to to bring therapies to patients that 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 will will save lives that will have an impact on their on their well-being and that that is what still what drives me today and what also brought me to precision nanosystems because that that's that's our vision that's what we want to do here and this is what at least from 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 uh brought me to interested in working on precision nanosystem and probably also made them interested in 
hiring me. Um, if if that w would cover it, I think we we can talk later a bit more about um, um, in a later section what skills or what 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 made me able to do the job. But but that's how I ended up with precision, right? So so yeah, definitely, definitely. Great. So you talked about precision nanosystems. Uh, what is exactly precision nanosystems, and what does it do? So we are like really shortly, basically speaking, a one-stop provider for people that want to do nanomedicines or genomic medicines in in particular, so non-viral uh, based genomic medicines. So we are a service provider at the end that provides reagent services, technologies, as well as education around nanomedicines or genomic medicines we really want to enable people to do that that would be like a nice little um short overview of what we're doing so a technology provider for people that are interested in nanomedicines that's how i would do it in one sentence that's that's wonderful uh, so I was reading about precision nanomedicine, uh, nanosystems and I came across this next-gen microfluidics technology from uh, precision nanosystems. Can you tell us more about what it is and uh, what can it do? Yeah, I think to, to, to cover that, I need to start a bit more up front and explain a bit why you would need that or before saying what it actually is. So as said, we are a one-stop provider or a technology provider for nanomedicines and genomic medicines. And as you uh, might know, for example, the nanoparticles, they are quite uh, largely discussed right now, right? So um, yeah, you need to manufacture them at some point, right? So that, that that's how we started. We started uh, thinking about how can you make nanomedicines, liposomal-based drug, LMPs, polymeric-based uh, nanoparticles. So that's how our company was started 12 years ago. And we realized that it is not really easy. You need to be an expert to do these drugs. And it's also hard to scale these drugs. So limiting transition from really early stages, clinical manufacturing, large-scale manufacturing, ultimately creating a drug that can be given to a patient. So we developed a microfluidic-based technology that will allow our clients, our collaborators, our partners, right, to manufacture nanoparticles from a small scale all the way to a clinical scale with minimal adjustments, really enable them to do that. And this microfluidic technology is called the next-gen microfluidics or the next-gen mixer. So it's really the the core or the heart of our technology and every service, every reagent we built around that core technology, I would say. So it is a microfluidic mixer that allows researchers or clients to produce nanomedicines from small to large scale. This is what it is. Okay. And what kind of nanoparticles are you like synthesizing with this uh, microfluidics technology? Are, are there a, is there a particular like area or specific specifications yeah that's a that, that's a good question so so um when you would go on our website or what you would browse it you will find a lot of information around lipid nanoparticles or rna loaded lipid nanoparticles just because of the, the large interest in that field right now the vast potential and also our expertise but basically you can produce any nanoparticle type that is somehow able to self-assemble which will so a technique but explain how it works is a solvent injection technique so you would inject a solvent that has the nanoparticle precursors into a non-solvent, which is usually an aqueous phase, and then you would precipitate the particles out due to change in hydrophobicity, pH. Um, and saying that, so it, it ranges from really mRNA LMPs to liposomes, 
polymeric nanoparticles, micelles, emulsions. So everything that is kind of self-assembled uh, when two phases mix. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty diverse. And when you work in that field, basically, um, you could adapt that technology. Yeah. Wow, that's like a huge uh, plethora of nanoparticle types that you guys cover with precision nanosystems. And I'm sure people who are really interested in these nanoparticles will take note of it and reach out to you very soon. Um, so, um, like another question I had was like, you also offer some uh, other biopharmaceutical services, right? Uh, what, what are those in specific so as said, part of the technology is definitely the mixing technology, but over time, obviously, working with that technology, um, you gain a lot of expertise on how to use it and how to use it for the benefit of your clients, of your partners. And and those are basically value-added services for nanomedicines. So it could be analytical services. So we can help with developing much-needed analytical methods um, for lipid analysis, RNA analysis, particle analysis, um, stability testing, things like that. We can obviously also act as a CRO using our technology for people to screen different formulations, to do the proof of concept formulations, to help with scaling up. So anything that would occur in, let's say, the nanomedicine development funnel or pathway from small to, to large scale, uh, scale. So that's basically our biopharma services. So it's like a CRO um, type of services we can currently offer so that's that's what it is i don't know if that is enough information for you if you have more questions no that's that's wonderful that's wonderful so in principle precision nano uh, systems kind of covers the whole spectra of uh, like starting from a small lab like providing them support and um, reagents and other things as well as bigger companies or which are into like large-scale uh, pharma development well absolutely so i have clients that so um, here in Europe that I work with that are people that work with our smallest instrument that are interested in maybe working in vitro, engineering cells, right? So really basic science. And I also have pharmaceutical company clients that want to produce a vaccine on a population scale, right? So, so it, it ranges from A to Z, right? It's everything and our services are based along that funnel because not every client can do everything right at the same time or expertise way. So we try to help fill that knowledge gap. So it, it, it's not only service, also sometimes filling a knowledge gap and, and, and helping with a particular um, set of knowledge that we have, right? Uh, so do you also, like, as you said, you kind of are also involved in like covering or, you know, providing the, the, you, the final end users with the knowledge. So do you also kind of conduct some kind of trainings or, you know, like Ausbildungs as they call it in German, uh, for the, the, the people who want to learn these techniques and get a better understanding of it? Well, I think that that's a very nice question. Thanks. Thank, thanks for bringing that up. So I would say a huge part of my job is to train people and to educate people on what is genomic medicines, what is nanomedicines, what are nanoparticles, right? So um, we have two streams, I would say, of, of, of how we get people trained. We have an official um, virtual classroom called NanomedU, where people could register um, with the help of us or directly through the website to learn about different themes of nanomedicine. Right now we have a course on preclinical development of vaccines, 
We will soon have um, also courses on the scale-up of uh, RNA-based vaccines. So that's really classroom-based courses people could book. But I think that's just a small portion of what we provide. I think we have a very well-trained field team. So we would go out to our clients and provide them with the knowledge, with the training they need. So And, and, and that, that's part of our mission. We want to enable people to do things. So going in their labs, going at their site, speaking with them, discussing with them their projects, helping them with our expertise and, 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 and really transferring that to them. I think that's a huge part of the job um, and what excites me day to day. I also saw on your LinkedIn uh, page that recently you attended some conference, like you were traveling in the last weeks, right? Can you tell us more about that uh, conference? I, I, as far as I remember, it was something like an RNA-based conference, right? RNA-themed conference. Oh, I think I think since the pandemic came to, I wouldn't call it to an end, but it got better, right? So, so, so it has opened up, and and we enjoy really going conferences, learning from our from our collaborators, learning from other people in the field, um, how the field evolves, and also be part of that development, be part of that future outlook. So. Yes, I've been to conferences that are RNA focused in, in the past, but it's not one particular conference. I think, as you said, I, I was away the last last couple of weeks, and um, we are usually attending a lot of these RNA conferences, like mRNA health or RNA leaders or things like that. But we also focus on the American Society for Gel, uh, Gene and Cell Therapy was a conference we have been lately. So wherever. RNA-based medicine on another thing could help us where you can find us. Um, I've recently been at an event from the EDQM, the European Directorate for the Quality of Medicines, speaking about regulatory uh, requirements for LMPs and analytical requirements. So it can spend really, it's pretty diverse as the field. And we try to be involved and seen as the expert that we are as much as possible. So we also want to get people the chance to hear us, to see us, um, and to interact with us, and also for us to interact with them to identify trends. Uh, I have a more technical question. You know, I was just thinking about the the next gen nano assembler you spoke about earlier in our conversation. Uh, so, uh, like you know, and I I know like for example, like you know, different labs they would like to try out different kinds of nanoparticles for different projects. I mean, so would the bigger companies, right? So uh, maybe it's a very basic question: So can a same nano uh, assembler work for different kinds of particles? Or you would need like some specifications or for different nanoparticles or different assemblers or these specifications could be changed. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the basic nano assembler technology or the, the next gen mixer is a one fits all mixer type. So any of these nanoparticle types we have discussed can be produced with exactly the same mixer and especially then also with exactly the same device. The only thing that changes between the different instruments that we offer is the scale. So we go from a large, from a low microliter scale over a milliliter scale all the way up to multiple liters. But the applications that you can enable are, are pretty much the same between the instruments. Um, there are some nitty gritty differences, but basically the basic answer would be one mixer uh, to produce them all, I would say that, that that's what it is. That's great. And usually what is like, I mean, like or for like a timeline to produce these nanoparticles for some experiments? 
actually it's way quicker than you probably think. So depends obviously on, obviously on the scale, right? So, but for typical lab experiments, when you want to prepare an LMP for, let's say, an injection into a mouse, right? Maybe that's something a lot of people do, so it is relevant. Producing the particles from injecting it into the system to having a lipid nanoparticle, for example, how it takes you under a minute. So how it actually works our system on that scale is loading reagents into syringes, pushing them into the system. It's a fully single-use system. Typing in your parameters, or you can pre-save your parameters to even save more time. Hitting run and then producing the particles. And we already there have manufacturing speeds of around 20 milliliters per minute. So, so when you want to have maybe two, three ml for mice experience, you're done in a few seconds, right? So that's that, that that's that's the thing here. Um, you will take a bit of time during downstream processing when you want to remove the ethanol that you have in your process. Maybe switch the pH or have a buffer that allows them to store. You will probably spend another one or two hours with that usually. Not entirely working all the time, but it's usually centrifusion or dialysis-based processes. Um, but yeah, it's pretty quick. So if you want to do um, a lot screening experiments, just in vitro, for example, a few seconds, you have your particles. And and usually, can you also, like, when you talk about, like, setting the parameter, so I'm sure, it's like, the size would also be one such parameter, like, you can have, like, uniform size particles. Yeah, so that's the most crucial, like, point here, getting uniformly sized particles. But that's what the technology actually does. By controlling how the two fluids mix, and that's what our micromixers do, we set a controlled precipitation environment, and that defines then the particle size. So you have only... Yeah, I shouldn't speak in extremes and absolutes here, but you have one particle size, right? That's what you get out. And by adjusting, yes, but by adjusting the instrument parameters, playing around with it, you can get different sizes. So you can manipulate the mixing speeds. You can manipulate, yeah, you can manipulate the ratios between your fluids, right? So, so you can still do your drug delivery formulation work on it to get like multiple sizes, but within one batch, there will be ideally only one particular defined size so this is what the beauty of the system right and it is kind of flexible with any kind of lipids you use like you know because different experiments they require different kinds of lipids and i believe yeah that, definitely that, that, that's the case and it, it is flexible for most lipids we have a few um hindrances when it comes to solvent use so we mix by diffusion so obviously we need um two fluids that are miscible with each other usually that means water miscible because you want to end up with an aqueous suspension or solution yeah exactly so if your lipid is dissolvable and let's say ethanol methanol isopropanol dmso maybe acetone when it comes really to the extremes then you're good so those lipids you can use and i would say that would be the case for for the majority of the lipids that they are so uh, soluble in one of these um, organic solvents and then you can actually... Mm -hmm. And what is like the shelf life of these nanoparticles? Like usually when you kind of either like, you know, just like that or conjugating them with the RNA or other things that you want to kind of carry around uh, usually? Pretty good question. So um, the answer is depends. I know it's not really a good answer, but it's really the case. So let's pull the mRNA LMP example maybe, because that's maybe what I assume a lot of people will be interested in. The, the lipid nanoparticles, once the ethanol is removed, 
and the pH is switched to neutral. The particulate system, because it is so small and so uniformly sized and does brown in motion, is probably has a very long shelf life, months, if not years. Problem though is you're working with RNA and RNA is very prone for degradation due to hydrolysis. And you have an aqueous system here. So as long as your LMP is an aqueous solution, your RNA will degrade because of hydrolysis because these LMPs are not hard shells. They allow water to penetrate into its core where the RNA sits. So you will need to monitor hydrolysis of your, your RNA and that defines your stability. So in aqueous solution, probably it's a matter of days or weeks stability-wise. That's also the reason when we look at the current vaccine landscape, right, why these vaccines need to be stored at very cool temperatures because you want to move it to a solid formulation to stop the hydrolysis. And you also want to cool them down to slow down the reaction speed. When we take, for example, maybe a polymeric nanoparticle with maybe a small molecule-based drug, which is way more stable, your stability in aqueous solution could be years, right? So it, it, our technology really not defines the stability. It's really the excipients you use. So it could range from days to years, the stability, depending on, on what, you, what you're working at. Wow, that's like, you know, it gives you a wide range of nanoparticles, not only in terms of size, but also in terms of like their applications. So that's like a huge, uh, you can do anything and everything with them, I believe. Yeah, that's the cool thing about nanomedicines, right? So it, it will open up a whole new, I wouldn't say a new field, because it's not really a new field, but it allows so many possibilities for a lot of people jump now on RNA, and that's pretty pretty nice and it's valid. But it also opens up, for example, the opportunity to use older, maybe small molecules that have an unfavorable side effect profile, impact them into a nanoparticle to maybe have them be delivered to a defined organ, which which then limits the side effects you have. So repurposing of drugs is a thing that nanomedicines can do. Having different injection routes or administration routes, right? Making maybe encapsulated proteins that then can be orally delivered. Let's say an orally delivered insulin could be something you can do with a PLJ nanoparticle maybe. So it, it is, as you said, diverse. It's exciting. And, and, and you will hear a lot about RNA LMPs in the future, but there is way more to nanomedicine than that for sure. So uh, I also heard that like Precision Nanosystems is coming up with a new global headquarters in Vancouver, Canada, right? Uh, congratulations on that, actually. Can you tell us what it in what will it entail and focus on? Is there something specific that it's going to be focusing on? So um, we are already based out of Vancouver, Canada, right? So um, but there are a few things here. First of all, we grew a lot um, and therefore we just need more space. So what it will be in the first place is the new housing for all our employees. So it will give a home to all our scientists or HR department for everyone, right? To have like a new home. It is also partly um, financed by the Canadian government. So huge uh, thanks to them for that um, because they, when the pandemic hit, um, basically they realized that vaccine manufacturing capabilities within Canada are essentially non-existent. So they gave us the um, task to build up manufacturing capabilities for LMP-based uh, vaccines. So part of that building will also encompass a biomanufacturing center where we can produce a multiple million doses of, for example, pandemic vaccine um, in the future, as well as run also other 
client-based or client-paid CDMO-type projects where we produce nanoparticles for clinical trials for clients. So it's really a combination of um, office space, lab space for R&D, as well as a biomanufacturing center for the manufacturing of LMP-based drugs, including RNA synthesis. Yeah. So it's basically part of the pandemic uh, preparedness program of the Canadian government. Um, it will also allow us to um, help the Canadian population with building up that center, which is quite cool. And also then help the clients, obviously, too. That's great. That's great. I'm sure a lot of our listeners who listen to this thing who want to probably pursue like a career like you would be like really taking notes uh, and uh, they might reach out to you in the future. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Martin, like, so you told about, you talked about uh, precision nanosystems, like the assembler and everything. So I'm also interested in like what your typical work day looks like, you know, or a work week for you, because anybody who wants to pursue a career similar to yours would be very interested in that. Yeah. So, so I think firstly, maybe need to, to discuss a bit what I'm actually doing, right? So because I feel my job title might not be the most straightforward. I mean, everyone knows what maybe a research scientist is or an analytical scientist, right? But I work as a field application scientist. I mean, the, 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 the title almost said what I'm doing, but I work in a field that's number one. So I'm home office based and I will travel to clients to help them on site. That's part of the story here. And I'm an application scientist, so I would help the clients with their applications. So what would they, when they tell me what they plan to do, I would help them to enable that on all platforms. So my day-to-day -day work is liaising, working with clients to enable them to do certain applications on all platform. That's what I'm doing, right? So my typical work there is not existing. I don't have a typical work there, but I can give you maybe two, three different work days that would <laughs> give you like a cross-section of what I'm doing day-to-day. -day. So yes. So when I have days or weeks where I'm not traveling to clients, um, usually my work would be still pretty flexible. That's a good thing. So I pretty much the owner of my time. And it would be a combination of um, client calls with new clients that want to get to know the technology, with existing clients that want to liaise on their project and look how we can push that forward together, um, how I can provide guidance and help with their projects maybe or discuss data. Um, I will spend time also usually looking at the latest science. So I spend time on uh, the typical things like ResearchGate, but also checking LinkedIn, see what my clients, what other people have done to do stay yeah, on top of it, to be scientifically sound all the time. So reading papers, watching workshops, things like that is also definitely part of the job. And I will also probably um, also spend time on uh, usually on the educational piece going away like from maybe also doing things like our podcast today or maybe doing a webinar or organizing a webinar. So it's a, it's a quite good combination of science, science communication, as well as also my commercial duties, right? Yeah, that, that would be the home office day. Um, the, the traveling day is usually um, the longer day. So traveling days usually start with going to the client, um, probably starting with a theoretical part, usually having a, talk or discussion with the client before going in the lab with them, actually. So you also will spend quite a lot of time as an FAS in the lab, actually doing hands-on stuff on the instruments with the clients, with the client's materials, with the client's stuff 
to try to enable them. So you also, that's the typical day. And it could be an, any, for example, it could be a newly starting client that you train, could be an existing client that you retrain or that you help with certain applications. So yeah, that's the typical traveling to a client day. Um, and then there might be also days where you travel to see conferences. And I think everyone that will listen to the podcast has been to conferences. So my day at a conference won't be different than yours. It's listening to talks, standing at the booth or the poster that we have or giving an old talk, um, discussing with people about science. So it won't be uh, won't be the difference. And meeting clients, obviously, at conferences. So um, you see, I, uh, it's all about our clients. So that's I try to make them happy. That's my job. That's great. That's wonderful. I'm sure like yours is like your profile is like uh, it has everything, right? It has like like research paper, research work, it has science communication and it also gives you a chance to kind of actually work on like let's say what let's call it what this is like on the bench. So it's it's a mixture of everything. Yeah, exactly. And that's what makes it for me so I really love this job because it's so it's flexible. It's every day is something new. And you have like multiple roles within one, basically. But I would say that the, the major or the, the most time in my work I spend on education, right? At, at, at education and training of myself and other people, right? So that, that, that's, I think, the, the, the biggest piece of the job. So I think that science communication and science transfer uh, type of work is the major part uh, of my role within precision nanosystems. Might differ from company to company. But because we are in a field which is not really that developed yet, um, I think we need that educational piece um, way more than maybe other more established um, fields or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think and it's continuously growing and developing and, you know, people are coming with different ideas to use and implement these in different areas. So, right, it's it is never a dull day. No, definitely not. And I think we only scratched the surface, <laughs> right? We have now these new class of drugs, which is, RNA medicines or RNA LMPs, which started with on Petro, and now we have the vaccines. But that's the start of a new wave. So as you said, we scratched the surface, and now people will use that. I mean, RNA is an old drug, right? But no one yet to the date was able to actually deliver it. Now they will probably get all these ideas how you can be devastating diseases with it. So yes, you will get more and more people wanted to start and need that training, that educational piece. And that's what makes it also exciting and brings us also mean new ideas, right? It's also cool to see what people envision to do. That's yeah, that's what it is. So Martin, like what uh, one piece of advice would you give to the aspiring scientists or postdocs or PhD students, you know, who would like to take up a path or a job like yours, like any piece of advice, which you think you should have got when you started off or which you would like pass on to the next um, generation? The first question is you first need to find scientists that want to do a job like mine, because um, to be honest, it's not that common, I would say, because what you need to love when you want to do my job is to speak to people, to speak in front of people, to expose yourself in front of a client day in, day out. So you need to have that. You need to love that, right? Um, you also probably need to have, you need to be not good standing in the spotlight, but you need to survive in the spotlight, right? So you need to, so, so, so it, it, it doesn't mean that you need to be a person that really enjoys it, but you shouldn't be afraid of it and you should still embrace it and use it to like get the message out, right? So I think 
when you are a PhD student and you go to conference and also maybe an early postdoc, and you realize that giving talks, speaking to people, discussing science really is your thing, then looking at the direction of a field application science is probably a good idea because I feel that not many people out there as scientists will consider that job because it's not really a much known job out there, right? So that's, that's it. So if you're into that, this is your role. I think, um, yeah, that's it because the, 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 the pure knowledge that you need for the job depends basically on what kind of company you're an FAS at, right? It could be that you're an FAS for HPLCs, for MS-based stuff, for our stuff. If it comes to our platform, I think it would be good if you have touched the nanomedicine in the past, so you know the basic principles of a nanomedicine. But I wouldn't say that this is absolutely needed because we also touch on areas like immunology or maybe also biochemistry. So if you have a science background with a bit of knowledge of the pharma sector, um, that would help and that will do it because we can teach you how to do it. It's really stay open. Be a person that likes people, that likes to speak to people. That That's it, what you need to then basically also work on. Um, yeah. But it's hard to give give advice because I also never worked towards that role. The role kind of found me, right? So I was reached out by Headhunter for that job. And when I wrote the jo job description, it was like, hey, I didn't know that jobs like that really exist. And that's... I mean, I knew that people came to our lab to install instruments, but those people usually installed it, and then it's like, yeah, that's how it works, goodbye. But really having a job that Precision Nanosystem gives their FASs the job to educate people and enable them, that's a cool piece. I didn't know that this is even existing, and it was a, a, a natural fit for me, I would say. So um, therefore, it's hard to say. I not like envisioned my career to go there and I really developed myself to be there so it would be hard for me to give a definite advice that's what you need to do right okay I mean I'm sure they will still kind of take inspiration from your journey and how you've kind of navigated yourself through the company yeah I think for me it was what I maybe I can speak a bit more general but me when I finished my PhD I think I found myself in a, in a position to figure out what, what is up next right so is it staying in academia? Is it going for a company? And I have to say, with the current landscape in Germany, for me, it was pretty soon clear that although I love science and admire science, I also love standing in a lab, kind of, I want to move away from academia to have like a more stable job environment. Um, but that's a decision you need to make, uh, make on your own. But I think what... What was hard to see in the beginning is that a lot of people, when they want to switch to industry, will say like, oh, you don't have experience in industry. And landing your first job will probably be your hardest task as a freshly, um, fresh off your PhD. But don't get caught off with the negativity. Try it again, because at some point, the right job will find you. And if you have that, I think then you can explore the possibilities. And if you have one job fixed, it will be also easier to explore different options. So... Don't get caught up with the negativities. Stay on top of it. The right job will find you because that's what it is. And then you're off to, and then stay flexible. 
with and, and try new things. Wow, that's wonderful. I mean, I think that's that's really, really nice piece of advice for anybody who's looking to, you know, like who are in the final year of PhD or postdoc or how they want to transition. That's really good advice. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. If you're in that final year and you see a job that's interesting, try to find someone you might know in that company already. And if not, just write the people. I think that's important. That's something that, especially coming from academia, it might be underestimated because how academia is phrased is really quite hierarchical usually, right? You have a PI, you have your PhD student, your postdocs, your PhD students write a report into each other. But don't be shy. Reach out to people, right? Ask questions because if people see you're interested in a job and you really care for it, right? They, they, it's, it's more likely you get it. So that's also, I think, something I, I had to learn, right? To not wait for it after you send in your CV. Reach out actively because usually that that that, that will then you'll yeah you will leave an impression and that's usually good. Definitely, definitely. So like being proactive and you know just letting go of the inhibitions is the key to move forward. Yes, exactly. That's great. That's great. So, uh, Martin, we've spoken about like precision nanosystems, what it does, everything, uh, your journey so far. So, uh, one question, you know, we never let uh, our our uh, our guest go without answering is your outlook on the future of precision medicine and nanomedicine. Like, what three major developments would you like to see happening in this field over the next ten years? I'm I'm glad that I watched a few other ex episodes. So I knew this question would come up because there I, I I I'm now looking at my notes because that's that, that's one of the tougher questions. So I I think the first thing I want to see and not only yes and I hope it will happen. And we work towards that every 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 day. Is we want to bring or well, nanomedicines, especially genomic medicine, will go from niche to mainstream. If you would look on the field five, six, seven years ago, it, it would be an easy product. There are a few nanomedicine products out there, but now with the success, the RNA-LMP, we see it as the next wave of medicine. So I think from niche to mainstream really means that RNA-LMP and other nanomedicines will be the next huge wave of medicines comparable with the upcoming of small molecules and protein-based drugs, and that might be the next third huge wave of pharmaceutical products, right? So from niche to mainstream is, I think, one thing we we want to see in the next, um, it says, 10 years. But hopefully we get there maybe even in two, three years already. And at the end, that means also more people work on it. More treatments will come out. We save more lives. We have a huge impact on the human well-being and people won't suffer from diseases that they would have to need to suffer right now. So that's important for me. I think in... I think another thing which is a bit tied into with that, with the RNA-LMP field, um, I think we want to also unlock the full potential of it. Because I said, we discussed it, we we're just scratching the surface right now. All RNA-LMPs go into either liver or into the vaccine, infectious disease vaccine space. But we can explore those two routes to a certain extent, healing all diseases which are healable in those two organs, like intramuscularly delivered or into the liver, but we need to go beyond that. We need to find new modalities of delivering, new formulation types, new modifications of formulations to really go in each organ of the body, to really enable a precise delivery. I mean, we want to talk about precision medicine here, into different tissues, if not even into defined target cells. So I think that 
would unlock the full potential of a directed delivery is quite a challenge oh it's an absolute challenge yes but still i feel seeing what works of 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 our clients i think they are works of if i can name them um, would be works of then peer for example that has a beautiful targeting technology um for lmps or works of of of, of sf singer he has makes biomimetic liposomes or biomimetic lipid nanoparticles that would be like kind of like an artificial exosome and really target different organs in a very uh, special way. Um, there are works from many other people, right? So I think there will be soon solutions for that challenge. So I think that's one part of unlocking the full potential. And the other thing is also right now everyone is using mRNA, right, for genomic medicine. But I think we will understand what microRNAs do, what CRISPR-Cas machinery can do what other non-coding RNAs could do to also really manipulate the body in a way, um, in a good way, right? So I think we will also unlock the potential of these nanomedicines or these genomic medicines by also looking for different payload types or different RNA types. So I think that's the second thing that I would like to see, and hopefully we will see, we will see that. Definitely. I think there is a huge potential in also these artificial nanostructures, if you've like heard of. So you have like DNA and RNA artificially nanostructures which are created and they've also become quite a huge field in the past 20 years or so. And I think combining them with these LNPs and these um, nanoparticles will definitely be a thing to look out in the future. Yeah, because it actually enables these molecules which are hard to deliver which are not really stable to be impacted and actually then delivered as a drug so it's, it's, it's amazing so i think that's the second thing and then the third thing when we kind of solve these challenges right so we have a lot of treatments we have different rnas available maybe different delivery types i think rna medicines really open us the field for personalized medicine so right now when we look how drugs are manufactured look at small molecules, for example, and also largely protein-based drugs, usually are population medicines, right? So they're manufactured at one or a few sites worldwide for one huge territory. So it's like a one-fits-all approach, right? We not even make usually difference between the genders, right? Though the human body, the male body and the, the female body react different to drugs, we not even look at that, right? Nor we look at really the individual level. So and that is also partly influenced by how we manufacture drugs in a large scale and a one-fits-all approach. I think with RNA being fully synthetic, so you can manufacture RNA in a fully synthetic way, as well as the LMPs, with a very low manufacturing footprint. So the size of the site essentially needs a clean room, right? You can manufacture an RNA LMP on site where it is needed. So first of all, we can maybe move from a population medicine to a more localized manufacturing approach, which is not really personalized medicine, but what will at least allow to react on maybe local differences in the population, because there might be certain genetic differences in the main population that requires maybe different doses, different needs, because maybe the enzymes are different, depopulated, or you have more of a rare disease in one area where they need that drug there more often than somewhere else so that might be wave two and then ultimately you can scale that all down when we look at getting rna printers together with these precise delivery technology that we can do a patient individual formulation that we could 
screen a patient for certain, let's say he has cancer, we search for certain the markers, defections, right? And then we would take that RNA or the two free RNAs, the combination of the RNAs that would tackle that can be a combination of an mRNA that produces a protein and an siRNA that silence maybe something in the tumor, pack that into the delivery system that is specific for that target site, manufacture that for one patient, give it to him, and heal the person based on its genomics, based on its underlying disease in a very personalized fashion. And I think with small molecules, we will never get there because usually they are synthesized with 10, 15, 20 different steps. So you need to synthesize them in a very controlled and big environment to be to make it doable. Whereas with RNA, because it's a biomolecule that is produced enzymatic, you can do that on a very low manufacturing footprint locally and then also individually. So I think that's that's my vision. That would be cool. Seeing basically a nano assembler plus an RNA printer um, plus lipids that we also offer, like lipid mix for different organs sitting in a hospital pharmacy, and then it's produced for one patient individually healing healing this disease. So that would be my ultimate goal and dream. I don't know if you will be there in 10 years, but I think that's a nice vision. Definitely, definitely. That's kind of, I mean, I think that is, oh, that that is that looks quite uh, realistic in a couple of years. I think we are all heading towards that. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds nice, right? It sounds really intriguing, but um, I think, Doing that, we not only need to solve the manufacturing issues, I think we we really running through towards that. So we will have that solved quite early with, let's say, the RNA printers, right, and things like that, and also our manufacturing technology. But there will also be regulatory issues um, com combined with that. So we need also to, to change the way regulatory bodies and also the whole pharma industry thinks about drugs in order to enable that, right, because it will cost a lot of money in the beginning, and also it will be a paradigm shift in how drugs are manufactured and also regulated. So it needs help from all sides, probably not only the smart scientists that would develop such drugs, but also um, the regulatory bodies that show them flexibility and guidance, guidance, right, help, um, and also money from the pharmaceutical industry uh, put into that uh, that field. So it, it will, huge effort. Absolutely, absolutely. It requires a collective effort from all different sides, like, you know, in order to make this dream come true. Definitely. Great. Uh, so I think Biff, thank you so much, Martin, for your time and speaking to us today about uh, like precision medicine, precision nanosystems, RNA, LNPs, everything. And uh, before we let you go today, uh, we would our audience, uh, where can our audience find you online in case, you know, anybody has some specific questions or would like to take uh, Take uh, take you up on some services at the which are available at Precision Nanosystems. So where can our audience find you online? Yeah, I, th I think if they if they have like scientific questions, they want to reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I think my name is unique enough that there won't be too many people with my name, so you will find me. So just type in and reach out to me. I will be happy to to to, to touch base with you, write with you. Um, when it comes to the commercial piece, right that you, that you talked about. Um, you can also write me a LinkedIn message, but the easiest way would be um, just to go on our website and, and, and click on the contact uh, options there and contact us directly so we can directly direct you to your local team because, as I said, I'm based out of Germany. So if you're based uh, in Asia or if you're based in the US, it might be better to speak to someone that is in your time zone um, or may even speak your, your language, right? So um, 
But I've said, if not, LinkedIn is fine. Um, you can find me there. You can write me there. Um, and I'm happy to, 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 to chat with you. Uh, I would just like to thank you once again, Martin. Thank you for taking out the time and speaking to us today. Thank you very much. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. It was really great speaking with you. Great honor. Thank, thank you. And have a nice day, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like this show and know someone who would enjoy it too, please share this podcast with them. And don't miss the next episode yourself. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Please rate us there and leave a comment. That helps us to grow and deliver best experience to you. To access the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's P-M-E-D-C-A-S-T dot Our show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. And if you have any feedback or would like to suggest a guest, write us an email to team at pmedcast.com or reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook. Thank you very much. Have a great day and until next time.